Um, I wonder if you ever find yourself feeling like you're surrounded by loads of amazing Christians who seem to be being used by God in amazing ways, and you're just sort of standing there going through the motions, thinking, mm, what about me? When am I going to be used? Or maybe um, you love the buzz of a Sunday evening, and last Sunday is a great example of, of when we're together and we know that Jesus is alive, and you totally are loving that uh, experience of being together with everyone and feeling God move, and you think, this is it, this week, going to see revival over the week. And then suddenly, before you know it, you're back on a Sunday, and you think, what happened? I don't know. I don't know what went on. Or maybe you don't even get as far as the buzz. Maybe you have something hanging over you, um, something that brings you shame and brings you guilt, um, that maybe temptation that you keep giving into, those thoughts that you keep entertaining, or those actions that you keep doing. And it brings you down and is a burden upon you. And you stand here on a Sunday and you think, I'm not even experiencing the buzz that everyone else seems to be experiencing. I'm just weighed down by this. I feel like I've let God down. I feel like I'm a bit of a mess. Or maybe you've never even been in church before. Maybe this is the first time you're here, in which case, welcome. And maybe you, you haven't really heard any of this stuff before and you're wondering what's going on. The good news uh, tonight from our passage is that each one of us, regardless of where we're at, are utterly accepted and loved and met where we're at by Jesus. Peter was met by Jesus and accepted by Jesus, and we can be met by Jesus and accepted by Jesus tonight too. Um, when I was in primary school, one of the highlights of the week was Friday afternoon. Um, Friday afternoon was a time where you could unwind from the stress of the busy life of primary school. Friday afternoon was, was a time where you could put your pencils away and your jotters back in your tray, and you could unwind and relax with golden time. Uh, golden time was amazing. Uh, there was all sorts of things you could do to relax for the last bit of Friday afternoon. If you, if you were into reading, you might read, so that could be your thing. Uh, you might want to draw, you might want to play uh, with the kerplunk or play with the buckaroo. Uh, in my primary school, if you were really lucky and you hit the jackpot at golden time, you got to go on the Apple Mac computer and you got to type on the word processor and print off on the, on the pages with the perforated edges down the line. And it was the most fun to just type stuff and print it. Uh, and that was golden time. I, in my primary school classroom, there was a, a chart, the golden time charts. And everyone had their name on a little bit of paper, laminated paper. And there was three sections. There was the, the green section, the orange section, and the red section. And everyone started on the green section at the start of the week. And the point of that chart was basically to see how much golden time you got to enjoy on Friday. So if you'd been good all week and you'd worked hard, your name stayed up in the green section. So when Friday afternoon came, you got to enjoy all of golden time. If you'd maybe been a little bit naughty, you'd done something you shouldn't have, then your name got put down onto the orange section and you missed, I can't remember what it was, maybe like 15 minutes of golden time you missed. And then if you'd done something really very naughty, your name got put on the red section, and that meant that you didn't get any golden time. Yeah. Uh, it may surprise some of you to know that in my primary school classroom, occasionally you would look at the chart and you'd see lots of names on the green. You'd see a couple scattered around in the orange, and sometimes you'd see one name on the red. That was my name, James McSparren. <laughs> 
And can you imagine the utter devastation of um, knowing that there was this incredible time of joyful celebration going on on a Friday afternoon and you had to sit there doing your work. There was a little bit of consolation when the guys who were in the orange section were with you at the beginning, but then they went off and enjoyed the celebration with everyone else. And you had to sit there really aware of the fact that it was such an amazing time everyone else was having and you had to sit there and not enter into it and it was all your fault and it was hanging over you. It was so sad. (laughs) I wonder if that's how Peter felt a little bit in this passage. All around him, he saw the excitement of people realizing that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I'm sure that Peter was aware of the excitement, but had something hanging over him. Um, I'm sure that lots of us know the story, but for those of us that don't, and the night before Jesus died, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, says, no, 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 I'm never going to deny you. I'm with you to the end. I'm with you to the end. Don't worry about it. And then when Jesus is crucified over the next couple of days, Peter denies Jesus three times. And Peter would have felt so bad about this, I'm sure. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He'd been with him through all sorts of times in his ministry. And then when the going got tough, Peter denied him. He'd have felt rubbish. He'd have felt rubbish. And all around him, he'd have seen people in joyful celebration. And Peter was aware of it, but just couldn't feel it. I wonder if you can relate to Peter tonight. Maybe you see people all around you in joyful celebration and you think, I just can't do it. I just can't get it. Maybe you feel like you've let God down or maybe it just feels like God isn't there. Um, As Pete Gregg reminds us, it's important as we read the passage to remember that at this point, Peter doesn't know that he's in the New Testament. At this point, Peter doesn't know that Acts is just around the corner, that Jesus is just about to reinstate him, and that he's going to be uh, the rock of the church. But at this point, all Peter knows is that he's let Jesus down, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And we read it with hindsight, knowing that. But can you imagine how Peter would have felt seeing Jesus risen from the dead, knowing that he denied him, even when Jesus had said he would, and Peter said, no, I won't. I think there's three things we can, we can draw out of the passage uh, to help us through times where we feel like we've let Jesus down or help us through times where we feel like God isn't close. Um, they all have F's in them. Um, and first one is find your John. If you've got your Bible, it's well worth keeping open at the passage and flicking through. But find your John. At verse 12 says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord's. And that seems like a bit of a funny thing to say, considering they were his disciples and they were sitting having breakfast with Jesus. But if you flick back a few verses to verse four, you see that actually the disciples hadn't recognized Jesus in the first place. So verse four, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish. I wonder if you recognize the similarity in uh, the miracle that we see here with something that happened earlier on in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus um, is on the shore. The disciples have been out fishing, haven't caught anything. Jesus shouts out to them, do something different with your nets. 
They throw their nets down. They catch almost more fish than they can cope with. It's a flashback to Luke chapter 5, where there's basically the exact same miracle goes on. Jesus is at the side of the, of the water. He says to the disciples, cast your nets out in the deep water, and they catch more fish than they can do, than they can deal with. And it's off the back of that miracle that Peter ends up falling at Jesus' feet and says, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And so you'd think that at this point, alarm bells may be ringing in Peter's heads as he's in the boat and the exact same miracle happens. But actually, we see that for some reason, Peter doesn't recognize that it's Jesus until John says to him, it's the Lord. And then that's when Peter sees that it's the Lord. Um, I've been living in Edinburgh for about seven or eight months now and been at P's and G's for the whole time. And I just found out something this weekend that had been happening right in front of me the entire time and I hadn't realized it was happening this entire time. Uh, despite the office being less than a kilometer away from this thing, and despite the fact that I can see it from my office window, I had no idea that there's a massive ball on Colton Hill that drops at one o'clock every day. <laughs> I had no idea until I was talking to my girlfriend and her mum at the weekends. Um, and so apparently, it's for the ships in the fourth, back in the 1800s, um, they built this ball so that the ships could see it, and when it dropped, they knew it was one o'clock. And then the gunfire at the castle came a bit later because they realized that when it's foggy, they can't see the ball. Um, and so they could hear the cannon instead. Out of curiosity, did anyone else not know that there was a ball that dropped in Cotton Hill? Oh, that's, that's very encouraging. <laughs> that's really good to know. Then we can all live this illustration then. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I didn't know that was happening right in front of me until... Uh, my girlfriend's mum told me. And I think it's easy to have the same situation with when God is doing something in front of us. Sometimes God can be doing something right in front of us and we don't notice it. It might be because we're preoccupied with something. It might be because we feel uh, guilt or shame. Or it might be that we're looking really hard and for some reason just can't see it. And that's why it's important to find our John. Find someone who can say, it's Jesus, it's God working. So what was John like? Well, John loved Jesus, and John was close to him. And so that's why John called himself the disciple who Jesus loved, which wasn't arrogance, but just assurance. Um, John also knew Peter really well. Um, they were part of Jesus' closest group of friend, friends. So uh, John would have known Peter's impulsiveness. John would have seen uh, the same things Peter had seen. John would have probably known that Peter uh, had denied Jesus, certainly would have known that Jesus had told Peter he was going to deny him. But the difference was, was that John wasn't in the exact same situation as Peter. Although they were part of the same story, they were having a very different experience. Peter had the guilt and the shame of denying Jesus hanging over him. He denied him three times, as Jesus, as Jesus had said. But we see that John had been right at the foot of the cross as Jesus was crucified. John was there. And so I think as we look for someone who might be a John in our life, who can point us towards Jesus... First of all, it's really important to find someone who loves God and who's close to God. Second of all, it's important to find someone who um, knows us well and wants the best for us. And it can be really helpful to find someone who maybe isn't in the exact same situation as us at that moment, but someone who we can go to and say, this is what's going on. I don't know what God's doing here. Can you help me see what God's doing? Can you help me give you permission to speak into my life? And then, of course, it's key to notice that as soon as John says, it's the Lord, 
Peter jumps out of the boat and runs toward Jesus. And so when we found our John and when we think we know what God might be doing, that's when we say, right, how do we, how do we go towards God? How do we run towards him? So that is uh, find your John. Um, second is know that you are forgiven. Know that you're forgiven. So this story is really exciting because it shows the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus in a really practical way. As I say, if you think how Peter must have felt knowing that he denied Jesus, denied one of his best friends, I wonder how he felt as he jumped out of the boat and was swimming towards Jesus. I'm sure that um, part of him was just so excited to see Jesus that he swam towards him. I wonder whether as he was swimming, he thought, oh, I wonder what this is going to be like. Is it going to be awkward? Does he know that I've denied him? I'm sure he knows that, that I've denied him. Oh, I know that he's loving. Is he going to forgive me? What's going to happen? Am I going to have to grovel? Um, I've got no idea what was going through Peter's head as he was swimming towards him. But we know that Jesus forgives him. And there's two things that's amazing about Jesus' forgiveness. Um, first is that he goes to the effort to approach Peter. And the second is that he assures Peter of his forgiveness. He approaches and he assures him. So as you uh, read through the story, you see how it's Jesus who initiates and you see how it's Jesus who invites Peter and the disciples um, along in the story. So verse four, Jesus is the one who stands on the shore. Verse five, Jesus is the one who calls them friends. Uh, Verse nine, Jesus is the one who's prepared a fire and prepared fish. Verse 12, Jesus is the one who says, come and have breakfast. Verse 13, Jesus is the one who gives them breakfast. Verse 14, uh, we find out that it was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd risen from the dead. And then verse 15, Jesus is the one who initiates Peter's reinstatement and uh, forgiven. Our God is such a kind, generous, loving God. And he flips the expectations of the world in its heads. I think if I was Jesus and I'd just risen from the dead... And I found out that one of my friends had denied me, I probably would have thought, oh, it's okay, I'll just bask in the glory of having risen from the dead, and I'll leave them, and I'll just maybe find them at some point later on, but don't need to worry about them now that I've risen from the dead. But Jesus is totally different. Jesus goes out his way to find Peter. Jesus goes to find Peter and approaches him And he does that because he wants to forgive Peter, because he loves Peter, he wants to forgive him. And then he assures Peter of his forgiveness. Um, There's something significant in the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And of course, it's the number of times that Peter had denied Jesus. I think that it might seem a bit bizarre to think, why did Jesus do it that way? But I think that one of the things that's going on here is Jesus is saying, I understand the fullness of what you've done and I forgive you totally for it. If Jesus had just said, I forgive you for, uh, for denying me, then Peter would have known that he was forgiven. But I wonder if little doubts could have crept in. Maybe, oh, I wonder if Jesus knows that I denied him three times. Or I wonder if he's totally forgiven me. But actually, in Jesus saying three times, do you love me? Jesus is saying to Peter, look, I get the fullness of what you've done. I get that you denied me three times. And this is my way of saying, I forgive you. I forgive you because I understand what's going on. He's assured of it. Jesus didn't ask Peter three times for Jesus' benefit, but Jesus asked Peter three times for Peter's benefit. 
And can you imagine how that would have felt for Peter being face to face with Jesus? And Peter knows that Jesus is the son of God. Peter knows that Jesus has died for the sake of the world. And Peter knows that Jesus is forgiving Peter right there. Peter is one of the first people who we see Jesus' um, forgiveness after he's risen from the dead. And Peter gets to experience it face to face in front of Jesus. Imagine looking in his eyes, knowing that you're forgiven, seeing his love, knowing that you're not perfect, but actually that's why Jesus went to the cross, because he knows fine well that Peter wasn't perfect. And for us tonight, we can experience that exact same forgiveness as Peter felt. Um, Jesus knows that we're not perfect, and we might be so aware of the fact that we're not perfect, and might be so aware of the things that are hanging over us, or feel like we've let him down. But tonight, Jesus approaches us. Jesus is here, and Jesus says, I'm right here. All you need to do is accept this. And Jesus assures assures us of our forgiveness as well. He says, I know that you're not perfect, but that's exactly why I died for you, to forgive you for your sins, because I love you so much. And we're going to have uh, the opportunity to pray. I mean, you can pray just now and ask for forgiveness. But um, uh, after, after this, in a few minutes, over, over here, if you really feel like there's something that you just need to say sorry for, that you need to have uh, Jesus forgive you for, then a great opportunity to do that. And knowing Jesus' forgiveness is amazing. It's incredible. And I'm sure that for Peter, it would have been almost euphoric being face to face with Jesus, knowing his forgiveness for the first time. Imagine how, how I guess, almost like lovey-dovey it could feel being with Jesus, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he wants the best for you. But actually, for Jesus, it doesn't just stop at forgiveness, but the automatic response to Jesus' forgiveness is to follow. So the automatic response to Jesus' forgiveness is to follow So Peter has this phenomenal experience of uh, knowing Jesus' love and forgiveness, but Jesus doesn't stop at that sort of wishy-washy, lovey feeling. He sort of snaps into reality and he says, do you love me? Follow me. Jesus wasn't asking because he didn't know, but Jesus was asking so that he could call Peter in response to Peter's answer. So verse 15, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Tonight, Jesus says, if you love me, follow me. It's the, it's the response. If you love me, follow me. If you love me, yes, then follow me. And I've been really challenged as I've been looking at this passage at how easy it is to get caught up just in the love and forgiveness of God. Um, I totally have the privilege of leading worship here a bit. And, and I love the feeling of us all being together. I love uh, the feeling of of the buzz of worshiping together, being together. I love seeing God at work and seeing people meet with God and seeing, um, seeing uh, people experience his love and experience his forgiveness. But I'm challenged in this passage that it doesn't stop there, that the automatic response to that is to follow. 
How does the buzz that we experience on a Sunday night, how does the buzz that we experience when we're together on a Sunday make a difference to our Wednesday and not just be a buzz on a Sunday evening that then carries us through to the next week? Jesus says, I love you and I forgive you and I love that you know that I love you and that I forgive you. But I also love your friends. I also love your family. I also love um, the people you work with, the people at school, the people at uni. I also love the people that you will be on the bus with as you travel around. I love the people that you'll be on the train with, the people that you play sports with, the people that you'll see in the pub tonight after church. Jesus says, I love all those guys as well. So I don't just want a lovey-dovey feeling on a Sunday night. I want them to know that, that I love them. And how can we show them how much God loves them. And that might look like literally feeding them, as uh, Pash has said, uh, they're feed my lambs, it might literally look like feeding. That's what's amazing about something like soul food, is it's really practical serving, following Jesus and showing his love by, um, by feeding people. It might look like taking care of people, it might look like spiritually feeding them, however you feel God is calling you. And that's where we can say, well, what are my skills and gifts? Um, what has the Holy Spirit made me passionate about? And how can I use that to follow God? That's what's so exciting about the network course. It's an opportunity to, to say, I think this is what God's doing in my life. And I think this is how I can use it to follow Jesus. But tonight, we can use the opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, where are you calling me to follow you? Where are you calling me to go and serve you so that it doesn't just stop with the buzz on a Sunday, but it carries on through and that makes a difference in, I, in the way that I serve you. Um, I totally love cycling. I love cycling around Scotland. And something funny happens when you cycle up a really steep hill. Um, it's only at the start of as you're cycling up the steep hill, but as, you, as you're cycling, when you, see, yeah, when you see cars coming down, having come down the steep hill that you've got in front of you, they'll look at you. The, the drivers, the passengers, they'll all look at you and kind of go, oh, he's got no idea what's coming. And you're like, I know. And they're like, we've just come down there. It's massive. It's going to be big. And I think that Jesus is almost giving that little You've got no idea what's coming, Peter. Uh, in verse 18, when he says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You know, it's not easy to follow Jesus. Um, the lovey-dovey feeling is amazing. And that is great. And what the automatic response to that is, is to follow. But that doesn't necessarily always feel lovey-dovey and easy. Jesus is saying to Peter here, look, I'm calling you to follow me, but you're going to end up being crucified for me. It's a big deal. We know about this passage, I think, mostly because we remember that uh, Jesus forgives Peter. And we know about the link between the three times that he denies and the three times that Jesus says, do you love me? I think it's really important to also remember that this is Jesus reinstating Peter. He's not just stopping at Jesus loving and forgiving Peter, but the fullness of the passage says that Jesus reinstates Peter. And so with us, when we're here together, it's not just that we find out that Jesus loves us, which is so important, but it's that we are reinstated. It's that we're sent out and we're commissioned to go into the world. And it's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. The automatic response to Jesus' love is to follow. 
this evening, do you know that you're forgiven? Do you know that you're loved? If the answer to that is yes, then your response is to follow. The response is to follow and say, God, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to follow you? How do you want me to take care of your sheep? Maybe tonight you don't know that you're forgiven. And it's such a wonderful opportunity to know that Jesus approaches us and Jesus assures us of our forgiveness. So maybe you find yourself with something hanging over you. Maybe you find yourself thinking, oh, I've just let Jesus down again. Or I I can't shake this thing that I do. First of all, find a John. Find someone who can point you towards Jesus. Find someone who loves Jesus who loves you, who can say, I think this is what God's doing in your life. I think this is how you run towards him. Know that you're forgiven. Know that Jesus approaches you and Jesus assures you of your forgiveness. And thirdly, when you know that you're forgiven, then respond to that by following. And he doesn't promise that it's easy, but use the opportunity to pray and say, God, how do you want to use me? How might I follow you? And how might I respond to your love by following?